You're listening to a sermon preached at Chao English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Our loving Father, we thank and praise you for your Word, the Bible. We pray that as we reflect on this portion of your Word today, that you would help us to understand what it means in its context, and that you would help us to apply it rightly to our lives. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what your word is speaking to us today. Make us your people through your word by the power of your spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, let me ask you this question. What is your favorite verse in the Bible? Do you have one particular passage in the Bible that you absolutely love? What is your favorite passage in the whole Bible? Especially for those of you who grew up in church and you know the Bible pretty well, what is your favorite passage in the Bible, the whole Bible? Well, uh, many people in the world today, if you ask them that question, they will answer with a verse from today's passage. Most people will say, it's actually Jeremiah 29, verse 11, which reads this. It's on the screen. You can look at this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. People love that verse. It's right up there with uh, rising up on wings like eagles from Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, And to be honest, as a new Christian, Jeremiah 29, 11 was my favorite verse for a number of years. I love this verse so much from verse 11 to 13. I had it printed on a hoodie and I would wear this hoodie with Jeremiah 29, 11. No joke, you can find photos of me wearing it. I love this passage so much that I had it embroidered onto my cap that I used to always wear. You can't make this stuff up. I used to love Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It was my favorite verse. And um, over the last 11 or 12 years, as a Christian, I've seen that you can get this verse on pretty much anything. If you like this verse, you can get it in anything. You can get it in greeting cards. You can get plaques with this verse on it. You can get posters with this verse on it to hang up in your wall. You can get a little card to put in your pocket with this verse printed on it. You can pull it out any time of the day. And remember, God has plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I've known people who've tattooed this verse on their body. In addition, you can go to Kurong today and you can get this verse with a rainbow. You can get this verse with flowers. At Kurong, I've seen this verse on a mug and on a photo frame. Verse Jeremiah 29, 11. You can get this verse on your jewelry. You can get necklaces with this on it. You can get rings or bracelets. There are even keep calm signs. Keep calm, Jeremiah 29, 11. At one of my previous churches, uh, they would have Bible verses uh, on the walls, like in toilets, uh, in the cubicles. And that's how I got to memorize this verse so quickly. It's just in the men's bathroom. You sit down, you go to the cubicle to do your business, you close the door, and bam, it's right there in front of your face. Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm reading this all the time. You can put this verse anywhere. 
People love this verse. Because? Because they love the promises of God that are in here. They love the truth that God really does have big plans for them. They love the fact that God actually plans to give them the future that they've wanted. They love this verse because it tells them they can have the prosperous and the happy life that they've been longing for. It's a nice thought, isn't it? That God has plans for our lives. Plans that he wants us to prosper. Literally, that he wants us to have, the Hebrew word is shalom, peace, fullness, rest. This verse tells us that God doesn't want to hurt us. He doesn't want to harm us. He actually wants to give us a future, a good future. Lovely thought. Except, if you've been with us for the last two months, as we've looked at Jeremiah, you've probably got some alarm bells ringing in your head. You're probably seeing some red flags because the God that we've met so far in the book of Jeremiah, he's not exactly the God of greeting cards, is he? He's not exactly the God of keep calm signs, right? Jeremiah's message has been about as far away from a keep calm sign as you could possibly imagine. So far, what we've read in this great book, it's been a message of judgment. The Jewish people have turned away from God. They've turned to idols instead. They've followed idols. We, we read about uh, people who've disobeyed God's law, and the truth is, they shouldn't keep calm. They should repent. They should repent because they know that God is going to destroy them and send them off into exile far away from the promised land. In Jeremiah so far, it seems that God does indeed have a plan for the Jews. He has plans to harm them, not to prosper them. So far, God's plans have been to give them no hope, no future. Well, let's look at this passage today, and let's see our favorite passage in its context, and let's see if we can work out what it really means. Well, friends, in this next section, we're looking at chapter 26 through to chapter 29. There's four chapters, and I want to kind of give you a roadmap and say that in these four chapters, we see three major stories. There are three major stories, three stories that actually follow the same pattern. Three stories where Jeremiah preaches, where he's opposed and threatened, but where God delivers him and then fulfills what he has prophesied. Three stories. And in each one, we see Jeremiah, he preaches, people oppose him and threaten him, but God delivers him, and he fulfills what Jeremiah prophesied. Let's have a look at the first story. First story, Jeremiah is preaching to the Jewish people, and we're in the days of Jehoiakim. Uh, the day is around 609 BC. Look with me at chapter 26, verse 1. Chapter 26, verse 1, reads this. Early in the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Jeremiah has to warn the Jews. He has to warn them. Turn from your evil ways. Repent. Otherwise, God will destroy you. He's going to send you off into exile. Jeremiah says, Jerusalem will become like Shiloh. And if you remember, Shiloh was a town where the tabernacle was, and it was flattened. It was destroyed by the Philistines. We pick it up in verse 4. 
Chapter 26, verse 4. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. If you do not listen to me and follow my law, which I have set before you, and if you do not listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I have sent to you again and again, though you have not listened, then I will make this house, the temple, like Shiloh and this city, Jerusalem, a curse among all the nations of the earth. Jeremiah preaches, he prophesies, but he's opposed. The religious authorities, they oppose him. They want to kill him. Look with me at verse 7 to 9. The priests, the prophets, and all the people heard Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord. But as soon as Jeremiah finished telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say, the priests, the prophets, and all the people seized him and said, you must die. Why do you prophesy in the Lord's name that this house will be like Shiloh and the city will be desolate and deserted? They try to lynch Jeremiah. Eventually, Jeremiah gets dragged before the court and he's lucky, uh, to, he's lucky to get away with his life. In fact, he's particularly lucky, the author reminds us, because the author quickly tells us a story of another guy, a guy by the name of Uriah, who preaches the same message that Jeremiah did and he tried to preach it to Jehoiakim, uh, the same king, and this guy, Uriah, he got wrecked. He got killed for it. It's only through some officials, including a guy called Ahikam, that God delivers Jeremiah. Look with me at verse 23. Verse 23 and 24. We'll hear first about Uriah and then about Jeremiah. They brought Uriah out of Egypt and took him to King Jehoiakim, who had him struck down with a sword and his body thrown into the burial place of the common people. Furthermore, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, supported Jeremiah, and so he was not handed over to the people to be put to death. What are we seeing? Jeremiah preaches, he prophesies, people oppose and threaten him, but God delivers him. Next story. In the next story, we jump forward in time. We jump forward a few years. We went from 609 BC, we jump forward to 594 BC. We've gone forward in time, and what Jeremiah prophesied to Jehoiakim has come true. Jerusalem has been defeated. Many people have been killed, including the royal family, along with the most prominent citizens, a lot of them having taken off into exile. God has fulfilled what Jeremiah prophesied. Babylon is now set up Babylon have now set up Zedekiah as puppet king in Jerusalem. But historically, uh, historically speaking, in 594 BC, there were some serious issues in the Babylonian Empire. Uh, over in the east, uh, some nations were, were causing a stir and they were rebelling. Uh, and meanwhile, the Jewish prophets were saying that the exile will soon be over. Some of the Jewish prophets were saying, in a couple of years, it'll all be finished. Just endure a bit, it'll be over soon. So, Zedekiah, the king, he gets some envoys from around the nation to come around and to go with them, and along with them, they start to plot a rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar. God tells Jeremiah to speak to Zedekiah, and through the convoys, through the envoys, to speak to the other kings, and the message is this. God has given your kingdoms to Nebuchadnezzar, and it's not going to be for a short time. It's going to be for a long time. Three generations. So, don't rebel. Don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, submit yourselves to his rule. 
Otherwise, you're going to get wrecked. Look with me at chapter 27, verse 1 to 11. Chapter 27, verse 1 to 11. Early in the reign of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to, Jerusalem, came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put it on your neck. Then send word to the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon through the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them a message for their masters and say, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I give it to anyone I please. Now I will give all your countries into the hands of my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. If, however, any nation or kingdom will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, or bow its neck under his yoke, I will punish that nation with a sword, famine, and plague, declares the Lord, until I destroy it by his hands. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your interpreters of dreams, your mediums, or your sorcerers who tell you, you will not serve the king of Babylon. They prophesy lies to you that will only serve to remove you far from your lands. I will banish you and you will perish. But if any nation will bow its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let that nation remain in its own land to till it and to live there, declares the Lord. Jeremiah says to the Jews, don't let the prophets who say that the exile is all going to be over soon, don't listen to them. Don't let them trick you. Don't listen to their lies. Don't listen to the prophets who are saying that Nebuchadnezzar will soon have to return the articles that they've stolen from the temple. It all lies. Don't rebel against Babylon, says Jeremiah, or, or even worse things are going to happen to you. Look with me at verse 16, chapter 27, verse 16 to 18. Then I said to the priests and all these people, this is what the Lord says. Do not listen to the prophets who say, very soon now the articles from the Lord's house will be brought back from Babylon. They are prophesying lies to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and you will live. Why should this city become a ruin? If they are prophets and have the word of the Lord, let them plead with the Lord Almighty that the articles remaining in the house of the Lord and in the palace of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem not be taken to Babylon. Jeremiah preaches that the exile is going to last a long time, so they need to submit themselves to Nebuchadnezzar. But once again, he's opposed. Same as the first story, he's opposed. This time, it's by a guy called Hananiah. He's opposed by a guy called Hananiah. Look with me at chapter 28, verse 1 to 4. Verse 1 to 4 of chapter 28. In the fifth month, just notice that, it's fifth month, in the fifth month of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, that's 594 B.C., the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. 
I will also bring back to this place Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So here we have Hananiah opposing Jeremiah. Hananiah says the exile is only going to last a couple of years. But it's all lies. It's not the truth. And so God delivers Jeremiah while Hananiah pays the price. Within two months of his prophecy, or false prophecy, Hananiah himself is dead. Look at verse 15. Chapter 28, verse 15 to 17. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. In the seventh month, remember, fifth month, now seventh month, two months. In the seventh month of the same year, Hananiah the prophet died. Okay, what are we seeing? What are we seeing? Jeremiah preaches. People oppose him and threaten him. But God delivers him. And we know from human history that God fulfilled what Jeremiah said. Zedekiah rebelled and it led to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. It was fulfilled. And the Babylonian exile did last for Nebuchadnezzar and his son and his grandson. And that brings us to story number three. Story number three. And onto that passage that the Christian world seems to love so much. We're still in the days of King Zedekiah, somewhere around 594 BC, and we read a letter that Jeremiah wrote to the exiles. Look with me at chapter 29, verse 1. Chapter 29, verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Writing to the exiles, uh, and this letter says the same thing to the exiles in Babylon that Jeremiah has been saying to the Jews in Jerusalem. He says, the exile is not going to be finished quickly. It's going to last a lifetime So, Jeremiah says, so don't listen to the prophets who are telling you that you're going to be home soon. No, no. Rather, settle down. Make a life in Babylon. Settle in in this new city, new country for the long haul. Settle in as exiles. Have children. Have grandchildren. Make a life here in Babylon. Make the best that you can of life in exile because you're going to be here for a long time. Look at verse 4 to 9. Chapter 29, verse 4 to 9. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry And have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease like in the days in Egypt. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for Babylon. Pray for Babylon. 
Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And now God says to his exiles, I will do good for you. I will do good for you. I do have good plans for you. I will seriously bring you back to the promised land. I will prosper you and give you shalom. But not for the next 70 years. Not for this lifetime. Look with me at verse 10 to 14. Chapter 29, verse 10 to 14. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Friends, you see the message? He's preaching that the exiles need to settle in for the long haul. But once again, just like with the previous two stories, Jeremiah is opposed. This time, it's by a bloke called Shemaiah. Shemaiah is in Babylon, and he writes a letter back to Jerusalem to one of the leading priests in Jerusalem, a guy by the name of Zephaniah. And he says, uh, Zephaniah, you've got to check this crazy guy out. There's a guy called Jeremiah. He's preaching nonsense, so you need to throw him back in prison. Get some chains on him. Put him back in stocks, back in neck irons, You need to punish him for the crazy stuff that is spewing out his mouth. Look with me at verse 26 to 28. Chapter 29, verse 26 to 28. Shemaiah says to Zephaniah, the leading priest, he says this, The Lord has appointed you priest in place of Jehoiada to be in charge of the house of the Lord. You should put any maniac who acts like a prophet into stocks and neck irons. So why have you not reprimanded Jeremiah from Anathoth, who poses as a prophet among you? He has sent this message to us in Babylon. It will be a long time, therefore build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Once again, Jeremiah is opposed, but once again, God rescues him. As it happens, Zephaniah happens to be a good mate of Jeremiah's, so instead of putting him back in stocks, He just reads him the letter, and Jeremiah is delivered, and he pronounces God's judgment on this guy, Shemaiah. Look with me at verse 32. Verse 32. This is what the Lord says. I will surely punish Shemaiah the Nihalamite and his descendants. He will have no one left among this people, nor will he see the good things I will do for my people, declares the Lord, because he has preached rebellion against me. All right. Friends, can you see what's here in these four chapters? To give you a quick summary, we've seen three stories, each with the same pattern, right? 
Quick overview, in the first story, Jeremiah preaches to the Jews in Jehoiakim's day. He preaches and he says, repent or you're going to be in trouble. He gets opposed. People try and kill him, but God delivers him and what he says come true is fulfilled. In the second story, Jeremiah, again, he preaches to Zedekiah, the king, and the other kings as they plot their revolt against Nebuchadnezzar. He says, Babylon's going to rule for a very long time. If you rebel, you're going to get destroyed. Jeremiah preaches. Again, he's opposed. Again, God delivers him. This time his enemy dies. And again, God does what Jeremiah says. And then in the third story, Jeremiah preaches this time by a letter in writing. And he writes to the exiles. He says, Babylon's going to rule for a lifetime. So buckle up, settle in, make the most of it in exile. But again, he's preached, he's opposed. Someone tries to get him put back in stocks and neck irons. But once again, God delivers Jeremiah and he fulfills what Jeremiah says. That's the summary of chapter 26 to 29. That's what we've seen in these four chapters. You know, I wonder if this pattern that we're seeing, Jeremiah preaches, he's opposed, God delivers, God fulfills. I wonder if that pattern is ringing any bells for you. Because that actually takes us way back to chapter one, doesn't it? Right back to when God first called Jeremiah. Do you remember what God said when God first called Jeremiah? He said, Jeremiah, I want you to go and preach. That's your job, go and preach, and he said, Everyone's going to oppose you. The whole world's going to be against you. But he said, in this chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, he says, but don't be afraid of them because I am with you and will rescue you. And then he said, do you remember the watch, watching almond tree branch? Then he said, chapter 1, verse 12, God says, I am watching. I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Guys, it pans out exactly like God said in chapter one. And here is story after story after story showing God's foreknowledge and his faithfulness. Jeremiah preaches, he's opposed and threatened, but God does deliver him and he does watch to see that what he said comes true. All right. Now, application, right? What does it mean for me today? To be honest, friends, There's a lot we could talk about from these four chapters by way of application. There's heaps uh, in terms of applying things to our lives. We could talk about God's faithfulness to us and how he's committed to us. It's a valid application. We could talk about God's promises to be with us and to deliver us. We could talk about God's fulfillment of the prophecies and promises through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We could talk about that. It's very valid. It's in there. In addition, we could talk about becoming brave witnesses like Jeremiah. We could also talk about false prophets and the need to be discerning. There's heaps of stuff in here by way of application, but for today, what I want us to do is, I want us to just zero in and focus on that single verse, that famous verse. Chapter 29, verse 11, which reads, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That is a beautiful verse, isn't it? It's like a little glimmer of light and hope in the darkness of Jeremiah's message. But we do need to see it in context, right? 
We need, we need to see this passage in context if we're going to apply it to our own lives as Christians. We need to remember that this is a message given to exiles, certain people in a certain time and place, and it's a promise to the people in exile that at the end of a lifetime in exile, that God's going to bring them home to the promised land, and then he's going to prosper them, he's going to give them shalom, and he's going to do all these things for them back in the land after a lifetime of being in exile. Church, as we think about applying this passage, that verse, into our lives, we need, we need to be very careful because we've got to understand what the New Testament consistently does with this image of exile. The New Testament's filled with a lot of imagery of us being exilic people. Christians are people in exile. The idea that as Christians, we're not home yet. This isn't home for us. Here on earth, Christians, we are in exile. That's what the New Testament teaches. For example, the Apostle Paul, he talks a number of times about how our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews, he says that we're aliens and strangers here on earth longing for a better country, a heavenly one. That's what Hebrews says. Here and now, we're in Babylon. The Apostle Peter, Peter calls us sojourners and exiles here in the world. The New Testament's clear. Here and now, in this world, we're like the exiles. Here and now, in this world, we're in Babylon. Theologically speaking, we're in Babylon. Yeah, we're in Sydney, but really, we're in Babylon as exiles. We've got a life to live in Babylon, but we're not home yet. We're not in Jerusalem yet, but like with the exiles, our God has a plan for us, a plan to prosper us, a plan not to harm us, a plan to give us hope and a future. He has revealed to us those plans in Jesus. Jesus, we know as Christians, has died on the cross to pay the price for our sin, all our sins, past, present, and future. Jesus has died on the cross to pay for our sins. Jesus has risen again from the dead, and in doing so, he's actually begun a new creation. And Jesus promises to bring us safely home as Christians. Remember what he said in John chapter 14? Remember what Jesus said? In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. As Christians, we believe in Jesus' promises that he is coming back for us one day to take us home with him to the new Jerusalem, a new promised land, a new heaven and a new earth. It's a beautiful truth, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a beautiful truth, but we don't want to mean what it doesn't mean. We mustn't think that God's plan here and now is to get rid of all our suffering as Christians. We mustn't think that God's plan is to give us comfortable and prosperous lives here in Babylon. That would be what Christian theologians call an overrealized eschatology. That's an overrealized eschatology. An overrealized eschatology is when someone takes the promises that are for heaven and applies it here and now on earth. Very dangerous. Jeremiah 29:11, Christian, hear this. Those promises are not for the here and now for us while we're in Babylon. That would be to take it out of context. 
And we don't want to do that. Friends, here on earth, if you're a Christian, you're an exilic person. You're in exile. We're not home yet. Here we are in Babylon. And so, while we are here, we need to learn what Jeremiah writes to the exiles. Like Jeremiah, the New Testament says, make the best of life here in exile. Be a good citizen in Babylon. Pray for your government in Babylon. Submit to the governing authorities in Babylon. The New Testament will tell us as Christians, pay your taxes to Nebuchadnezzar. Obey the law. Get a job. Pray pray for the peace and the prosperity of our society. Here in exile, as Christians, we are free to marry. We are free to have children and grandchildren. We are free as exiles in Babylon to build houses and to settle down. Here in exile, here in Babylon, Christian, you're free to plant gardens and eat what they produce. We're here for the long haul. You might have 70 years in exile, maybe 80 or 90 if you're lucky. And Christians, we should learn from Jeremiah's letter to the exiles to settle down and make a life and to be good citizens of Babylon while we're in exile. But friends, don't get too comfortable, will you? Don't make yourself too much at home in Babylon, will you? In other words, Christian, make a life, but don't turn into a Babylonian. Don't get too attached to your Babylonian money. Don't get too attached to your Babylonian house or your Babylonian garden. Don't get too attached to your Babylonian job and career. Don't get too attached to all the Babylonian trinkets that we've got and that we enjoy. Don't think that Babylon is the be-all and the end-all because it's not. Don't live your life as if Babylon is forever because it's not. We're not home. We're just exiles. We're passing through. Remember, Christian, the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11, because what does it say? It says this. God's got a way better plan for your life than what you can make for yourself in Babylon. That's the promise. Christian, God has a way better plan for your life than what you can do in exile. God has plans to prosper you. He has plans to give you genuine shalom, to give you real lasting hope and peace, and to give you a real future. If you're thinking like a Babylonian, you think you have a future, but you don't. You have no future. Remember what Jeremiah says, Babylon's going to get creamed. It's going to get destroyed. Friends, Christians, this world is coming to an end. That's the fact. So here is Jeremiah reminding us that God does have plans to prosper us and to give us a real future, a lasting future through Jesus. God promises to bring you home. And church, that's where our true hope needs to be. That's where our true joy is needs to be. I love the way the psalmist puts it. Psalm 137, and you can read this tonight, definitely read this tonight. Psalm 137, uh, in this psalm, the writer of the psalm, he finds himself in Babylon. 
in exile, and he's sitting. He's sitting by a river in Babylon. He's just sitting there, he's living his life. And some of the Babylonians, the locals of that place, they cry out to the author, saying to him, sing us some nice Jewish songs, will you? Entertain us. Sing us a nice Jewish song from where you're from. And the author goes, you've got to be joking. You've got to be kidding me. And the author says this of Psalm 137. He says, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not remember you, Jerusalem, my highest joy. Christian, is that you? While you are sitting by the rivers of Babylon, is Jerusalem your highest joy? Are you living like a citizen of heaven here in Babylon? Do you know where your true home is? Church, that's the true application of Jeremiah 29, 11. It's a great verse. It's an excellent verse. It's a worthy favorite. It is one of the best verses. It's awesome. But it's not about God giving me the life that I've always wanted. You know, keep calm, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's, it's nothing like that. 29, 11, it's all about getting perspective. It's all about getting biblical perspective. Here in exile, sure, settle down. Sure, make a life, have a family, get a home. Sure, be a good citizen while you're in Babylon, but sit light to the stuff of this world. That's what it's saying. Because God has got better things, higher things, more glorious things planned for you rather than being in exile. Jeremiah 29, 11, what it should do is, it should make us long for her. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your magnificent promises fulfilled for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. We thank you, Lord, that he has risen again and has begun the new creation. And we thank you, Lord, so much that he is coming back to take us home. Our Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to live here in Babylon. We thank you that we have the opportunity to serve you while we're in Babylon. But Father, please make us like the psalmist of Psalm 137. Help us always to consider Jerusalem our highest joy. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.